Welcome, fellow crime addicts, to our weekly CA meeting. I'm Kylie. And I'm Tay. Grab a cup of coffee and, and let's, let's get, get our fix. fix. Today, addicts, we are going to be talking about Israel Keys. And we made a delicious iced Nutella latte. Oh my gosh. Stuff is so bomb. So good. Even if you don't like Nutella, it's not even like a strong Nutella flavor, but it's so good. So good. So if you're interested in knowing some delicious at-home recipes and some of my favorite products, head over to our website at crimeaddictspodcast.com. We want to give a huge shout out to our fellow crime addicts, specifically Nicole T, Cindy P, and Alice K. They have commented, rated, reviewed, and shared our content across all social media outlets. We could not do this without your continued support and willingness to spread the word about our podcast. So thank you guys so much. For your chance to get a shout out on our next episode, please go like, follow, rate, review, and share across all social media platforms. You can find us at Crime Addicts Pod on iTunes, Twitter, Facebook, and IG, or at CrimeAddictsPodcast.com. You'll find there a spot where you can submit case recommendations. There is also a gorgeous donate button. And if you're an Amazon shopper, click our Amazon link and it will redirect you to the Amazon site or app. Simply add your items to your cart and check out. The process will help support our show and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Israel Keys was born in Cove, Utah on January 7, 1978. He was born to a large Mormon family as the second of 10 children. His parents were Heidi and John Keys, a couple who didn't believe in government interferences, public schools, and modern medicine. Keys was a toddler when his family left Utah for Colville, Washington. Isolated from society, the Keyes' family lived in a one-room cabin located on Rocky Creek Road, where they lived without electricity or running water. There, Keyes and his siblings were homeschooled, and some of the Keyes' children had been forced to sleep in a tent due to their cabin's small size. I would imagine this probably included him, since he was the oldest boy, wouldn't you think? Yeah, that probably makes the most sense. I mean, that makes sense to me. They wouldn't make the girls. Right. And And he's the oldest Definitely the oldest, yeah. Yeah, okay. So just to paint a picture of his upbringing. Um, hold on. We're talking, he was born in 1978. So mm-hmm. by now, this is like mid 80s and they're living without running water mm-hmm. on purpose. In a tent. Yeah, they chose this life. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I like to brush my teeth though. Maybe I'm old school, but I like a sink. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> to survive, the Keys children had to hunt their food, chop firewood, and work on small local farms to support the family. As a hobby, Keys hunted anything with a heartbeat and freely admitted to skinning a deer alive to his peers at the church. As a result, Keys was ostracized and actively avoided by various youths who attended the Christian Israel Covenant Church, with one girl recounting that Keys' presence made her skin crawl. That's her quote. I don't blame her. Yeah. Well, knowing what we know about him, I can completely agree. (laughs) So, okay, as a youth, Keys admitted to shooting at neighbors' houses with a BB gun, started fires in the woods, and broke into houses for fun. He would also occasionally break into houses with other youth, who subsequently avoided him after witnessing Keys shoot an animal. On one occasion, he had stolen several guns from one of his neighbors' residents and was forced to apologize by his parents after they discovered the collection. On one occasion, Keys, who stood six feet and two inches by the age of 14, <laughs> so a big boy, <laughs> would also sell stolen guns to local adults. I mean, he just fit right in. You know he what I'm saying? He probably looked like an adult. Yeah, at 14. Keys had an epiphany in which he felt that he was different from his peers, who ran away from him. He would subsequently keep his increasingly antisocial behavior to himself upon his realization. This would also include him withdrawing socially due to being ostracized. Quote, I've known since I was 14 that there were things that I thought were normal and okay that no one else seemed to think were normal and okay. And that's when I just started doing stuff by myself exclusively. End quote. By his teenage years, 
Keyes had become a skilled and proficient carpenter, building his first wooden cabin for his family at age 16. He would also begin working for a Colville contractor from 1995 to 1997. Around this time, Keyes kept a journal from early childhood littered with Bible scriptures, documenting daily sins for which he felt shame, such as lusting after his girlfriend. Due to their mother's religious zealousy, the Keyes' children would be forced to secretly flee their parents to watch movies with friends and were forbidden to learn musical instruments as they were, quote, against God. In the late 1990s, the family relocated to Oregon, then next moved across the country, settling in Smyrna, Maine, near an Amish community. There, they collected sap for maple syrup production. The Keyes' parents raised their children on Mormon beliefs until 1983. In Colville, the family attended services at a church called The Ark, which practiced white supremacist Christian identity ideology. Keyes later described The Ark as an Amish-like church environment. During this period of attending The Ark, the Keyes family befriended the neighboring family of Chevy Keel, who was later convicted of a 1996 triple murder. The Keyes family attended another church in Colville called the Christian Israel Covenant Church, which taught British Israelism as doctrine that interracial relationships and marriages were abominable and deviant, that Anglo-Saxons were to rule over the perceived inferior races, and as alleged by Keyes to have been militia-like. While residing in Maine, Keyes would initially renounce his former Christian faith, then later declared his atheism after an intense argument with his parents, both of whom he previously made constant efforts to please. This would lead his parents to evicting their eldest son from their residence, shunning him for apparent blasphemy. Some reports claim his father cut ties, though he remained close to his mother. They would then instruct his younger siblings, who looked up to Keyes, to never have contact with him ever again. Keyes would then develop an inordinate interest in Satanism, with plans of committing a ritualistic murder. I just think it's really creepy that he is this way and his siblings look up to him. I mean, I know he's like the oldest boy, but that is not a good idol. No, not at all. Okay, so let's jump into his military background. On July 9th, 1998, Keyes would promptly relocate and soon enlist in the United States Army in the state of New Jersey, where he served as a specialist in the Alpha Company, 1st Battalion, 5th Infantry. He was stationed at Fort Lewis, Fort Hood, and spent much time abroad while stationed in Sinai, Egypt. Here, Keyes befriended several soldiers, informing one of them that he would, quote, like to kill him upon angering Keyes. While at Fort Lewis, he served on a mortar team in the 1st Battalion, 5th Infantry, 25th Infantry Division. Former Army friends of Keyes have noted his quiet demeanor and habit of keeping to himself. On weekends, he was reported to drink heavily, consuming entire bottles of his favorite drink, wild turkey bourbon. Keyes was also a fan of the hip-hop duo Insane Clown Posse and displayed posters of the musical act in the barracks. Keyes was awarded an Army Achievement Medal for his meritorious service as a gunner and assistant gunner from December 1998 to July 2001. Keyes was then honorably discharged. In 2000, Keyes became involved with a woman who lived on the Macaw Reservation in Nia Bay, Washington. Their daughter was born circa 2001. In 2007, Keyes moved to Alaska to live with a nurse practitioner he'd been dating. Keyes started a construction business in Alaska called Keyes Construction while working as a handyman, contractor, and construction worker. What a very clever name to call your construction (laughs) company. (laughs) You can tell a lot was put into that. Yes, lots lots of thought. (laughs) Genius. In the summer of 1997 or like 1998, so prior to joining the military, Keyes would allegedly commit a sexual assault on a teenage girl who had been tubing with her friends down the Deschutes River in Maupin, Oregon. Although this was not his first sexual assault, Keyes admitted that he stalked her from a tree line before very violently sexually assaulting the girl, whom he estimated to be between 14 to 18 years of age, by knife point. 
Originally planning to murder her as a part of a satanic ritual, Keys let her go in the river tube. Fast forward a little bit to February of 2001, while he was still enlisted, Keys would be arrested for driving under the influence in Thurston County and pursuant to a plea agreement. He was fined $350. Moving forward a little bit more, now we're in February of 2012, 18-year-old Samantha Koenig finished up her shift at the Common Grounds coffee stand in downtown Anchorage, Alaska. The young barista was approached by a man wearing a ski mask who ordered a coffee. After Samantha handed him the coffee, the man later identified as Keys, pulled out a gun, and demanded money, and the terrified teen quickly complied. Forcing himself inside the stand, Keyes tied the young woman's hands together with zip ties before forcing her into his white Ford Focus, where she tried to escape the abductor, but she failed. And he held a gun to her head and said he would kill her if she tried again. Driving around town with Samantha, still bound in the vehicle, Keyes explained to the terrified teen that this was simply a kidnapping for ransom and that if she cooperated, she'd be returned to her family unharmed. Keys kept Samantha alive for several hours and even drove back to her coffee stand to retrieve her mobile phone that was left there. He then used it to send a fake text message to her boyfriend, who was due to pick her up after shift. The text read, quote, Hey, comma, I'm spending a couple of days with friends, comma, let me dad know, end quote. Keys took Samantha to his property, where he tied her up in a shed. He turned his radio up so no one could hear her screams and pleas for help. After demanding Samantha's address, Keyes made his way to retrieve her ATM card from her boyfriend's truck. In a gut-wrenching twist while stealing the debit card, Keyes was confronted by Samantha's boyfriend, who was already on edge after discovering Samantha was not at work when he arrived to pick her up, as well as having received the strange text message from her phone earlier, which had, in fact, been sent by Keyes. Thinking Keyes was a random burglar attempting to break into his car, Samantha's boyfriend ran inside to get help while Keyes fled. So sad. I know. He was so close. So close. I wish I wrote the script of this and I could change it up, you know, I know. and save her. Ugh, yeah. It's so hard. Okay. Keyes returned inside, packed for a pre-planned cruise in New Orleans with his family to the Gulf of Mexico, woke his daughter, and they left for the airport. Returning to Anchorage on February 17, 2012, Keyes began preparing a ransom note, but first he decided to remove Samantha's body from the cupboard. He applied makeup to Samantha's face, frozen and lifeless, before sewing her eyes open with a fishing line to give her the appearance of being alive. He then took a Polaroid of her holding up that day's newspaper. Keyes typed a note demanding $30,000, and he left this, as well as the photograph of Samantha staged to look alive, in a park under memorial flyer of a dog named Albert, before using Samantha's phone to text her boyfriend. A few days later, Keyes drove to Matanuska Lake, dismembered her body, cut a hole in the ice, and dumped her remains in the lake. Samantha's remains were later recovered about a month later in April 2012. Samantha's father, James Koenig, believing his daughter was still alive after seeing the sickening photograph, deposited the ransom money into Keyes' account with the $30,000 having been generously donated by members of the community. During the investigation into Samantha's disappearance, police were able to track withdrawals from the account holding the funds he received from the ransom as he moved throughout the southwestern U.S. During that time, the police controversially refused to release surveillance video of Samantha's abduction. He disguised his appearance, but a security camera recorded an image of his rental car in Arizona. Texas law enforcement was notified. Shortly before being captured, Key spent time with his mother and some siblings in Texas. His father had died years earlier in 2002. During this visit, a sister tried to get him to reconsider his atheism. A pastor present at the time has said that Keyes answered, quote, You don't know the depths of darkness that I've gone to. You don't know what I've done. End quote. Keyes was arrested by Texas Highway Patrol Corporal Brian Henry and Texas Ranger Stephen Rayburn in the parking lot of the Cotton Patch Cafe in Lufton, Texas, on the morning of March 13, 2012. Keyes had previously been located at a Lufton, Texas motel by Lufkin Police Department Patrol Chris Nash. 
Nash, who had just finished his midnight shift, was on his way home when he drove through the motel parking lot looking for Keyes' vehicle. Officer Nash located the vehicle and, while confirming its identity, observed Keyes exit a motel room in close proximity to it. Local police had previously been notified about a vehicle matching Keyes that had been driving by the suspect using Samantha's debit card through New Mexico and Arizona. Authorities found dye-stained bills from a bank robbery, a ski mask, a gun, and Samantha's phone and debit card. Keyes was subsequently extradited to Alaska, where he confessed to the murder. He was represented by Alaska federal defender Rich Kurtner. Keyes was indicted in the case, and his trial was scheduled to begin in March of 2013. The killing was at odds with his usual careful planning, but he told law enforcement that he'd been feeling out of control and noted, quote, back when I was smart, I would let them come to me, end quote. While incarcerated, Keyes spoke to investigators several times. He cooperated to an extent, confessing to some of his crimes, and stated a wish to be executed within a year. Keyes said he wanted to avoid publicity due to the negative attention his daughter might face, but largely stopped cooperating after his identity was discussed in the media. Quote, I'll tell you everything you want to know. I'll give it blow by blow if you want. I have lots more stories to tell. End quote. That's what he told the police. It soon dawned on authorities that they weren't dealing with just a murderer. They were dealing with one of the coldest, most methodical serial killers of all time. On May 23, 2012, Keyes attempted to escape during a routine hearing. Keyes broke his leg irons and jumped over the railing, but a taser was used in the efforts to quickly subdue him. Keyes claims that he was the subject of an active investigation by the state police and the Federal Bureau of Investigation. He did not have a felony criminal record in Washington, although he had been stopped on two occasions for minor driving-related offenses. Keyes claimed he took at least five other lives, but never named those victims. Per his account, he killed four people in Washington State, a couple sometime between 2001 and 2005, and two separate victims in 2005 and 2006. Keyes also stated that in 2009, he murdered someone in New Jersey, then left the body buried near Tupper Lake, New York. The FBI is relatively confident that the victim was Deborah Feldman, a New Jersey resident who went missing in April 2009. Keyes had ties to New York. He owned 10 acres and a dilapidated cabin in the town of Constable. Speculation about other possible victims of Keyes has included a girl named Julie Harris, who disappeared in Colville in 1996. Her prosthetic feet were found a month after she vanished, and her remains came to light in 1997. Keyes was in the area when Harris went missing, but denied any involvement. Keyes had also been speculated to be responsible for other unsolved crimes, such as the murders of 56-year-old Mary Cooper and her 27-year-old daughter, Susanna Stoden who were shot while hiking in Washington State in 2006. Keyes also confessed to murdering Bill and Lorraine Courier in Essex, Vermont, on June 8, 2011. The couple was selected at random, as they fit Keyes' criteria of having no children, no dog, and a house with an attached garage. So side note, if you're not going to have kids, have a dog. <laughs> right, because otherwise murders are looking for you. Yeah. <laughs> you're apparently Keyes' type. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so first, get this get this crazy timeline that he goes through just to kill this couple. Listen okay. to this. First, Keyes flew to Chicago, rented a car, then he drove 1,000 miles, which is 1,600 kilometers, to Vermont. Okay? Then he retrieved his murder kit that he had hid near the home two years prior to this. Wow. It's crazy. That's a long time. He had premeditation at its finest, right? Definitely. Okay. So in the murder kit, it contained a handgun, silencers, ligatures, ammunition, and garbage bags. He cut the phone line and broke into their home while wearing a headlamp. Next, he tied them up and drove them to an abandoned farmhouse. Why does, why, why is it always an abandoned farmhouse? (laughs) It's always an abandoned farmhouse. (laughs) Okay, so Keyes obviously killed Bill first. So he did this in the basement with a 22 caliber 10.22 Ruger charger. Then he turned around and raped Lorraine before strangling her. 
their bodies have never been found to this day. Oh my gosh. So he admitted to this and gave us all the gory details, but no bodies. After the murders, he moved most of the contents to a new hiding place in Parrishville, New York, where they remained until after his arrest. So it appears that he had another couple or person at least in mind. Mm Mm-hmm. The Chittenden County State's Attorney, T.J. Donovan, said that, quote, it is clear from the facts of the case that though confronted with death, Bill and Lorraine showed extraordinary bravery and extreme dedication and love for one another. They fought to the end, end quote. Oh, that's I know. so sad. It's like a love story that ends in a terrible, terrible tragedy. It's just yeah. horrible. Okay, so lastly, Keyes confessed to committing bank robberies in New York and Texas. The FBI later confirmed that Keyes robbed the community bank branch in Tupper Lake, New York, in April of 2009. He also told authorities that he burglarized a Texas home and set it on fire. An FBI report stated that Keyes burglarized 20 to 30 homes across the U.S. and robbed several banks between 2001 and 2012, which seems crazy because I feel like our technology was in that stage of advancing at that time. Where they like, could have been able to catch him. How did they not catch him? Like, yeah. 20 to 30 homes and especially banks? Like, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, what? How is he not caught before this? Like, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, he is going across the whole U.S., it, yeah, so if it was it's in hard one to track. State, for sure. But yeah, if it's yeah. in different counties different state lines like Mm -hmm. a lot of the communication between states are not always there unless they have like a heads up and at that point they did not have a heads up well we're learning from our mistakes i think i hope (laughs) key said that he'd next intended to leave alaska and travel through storm ravaged regions to find new victims while working as a contractor he dreamt of later building a house where he could imprison his victims (sighs) dream that that's a very interesting choice of word right there yeah i mean we all have goals and aspirations i wouldn't say that that's that one that i would encourage no no (laughs) so while he was in custody keys expressed his desire to prevent his daughter from suffering due to his actions he said quote i want my kid to have a chance to grow up you know she's in a safe place now she's not going to see any of this I want her to have a chance to grow up and not have all this hanging over her head, end quote. Keyes shared some details about his crimes with investigators, though he seemed to take pleasure in limiting the flow of information. He also expressed his desire for a quick execution date, saying he dreaded languishing behind bars for several years and he didn't want his mother or his daughter to suffer because of his crimes. Keyes offered details about the courier killings as a bargaining chip with law enforcement. Keyes committed suicide in his Anchorage jail cell on the night of December 1st, 2012. Despite warnings not to provide Keyes with the razor blade, he had been given one. He slit his wrist and also strangled himself with a sheet while laying in bed. His body was not discovered until the morning of December 2nd. His mother, four sisters, and three brothers-in-law were the sole attendees at Keyes' funeral a week later in Deer Park, Washington. The pastor, Jake Gardner, opened the service by saying, quote, he is not in a better place. He is in a place of eternal torment, end quote. Under his body was a rambling letter that was later called a creepy ode to murder, which offered no clues as to the identities of his unnamed victims, but rather described them as, quote, pretty captive butterflies, end quote. In 2020, the FBI released the drawings of 11 skulls and one pentagram, which had been drawn in blood and found underneath Keyes' jail cell after his suicide. The FBI suspects Keyes murdered 11 victims in total, with the 12th skull being his own. Evidence left behind in his jail cell included a suicide note, the skulls, a drawing of the baphomet, and an inscription of Corazol on the cell's wall, all written or otherwise stained with Keyes' blood. One of the drawings included the phrase, We are one, written at the bottom. Another snippet read, quote, Your face framed in dark curls like a portrait. The sun shone through highlights of red. What color, I wonder, and how straight will it turn plastered back with the sweat of your blood, end quote. Okay, let's talk about his modus operandi, which is also his MO. 
Um, so Keyes planned murders ahead of time and took extreme caution to avoid detection. In contrast to most serial killers, which made discovering the crimes far more difficult, Keyes did not have a specific victim profile, saying he killed both men and women, but claimed that children and parents were off limits. This was primarily because of his daughter, whom he feared finding out about him and his crimes. So again, you don't have to have kids, but be a parent of a pet. That would be great. <laughs> yeah. Save your life. Save your life. Not a cat. Also, a dog. <laughs> yeah. Also, d- dogs would save your life anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cats would stand by and stare. Yes. Meow. <laughs> 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 They'd probably be like, finally, some peace and fucking quiet around here. <laughs> sorry sorry if you like cats yes we love you guys anyways yes (laughs) but get a dog get a dog (laughs) get a dog (laughs) i mean hey even israel keys agrees right not that i want to be in that group with him but anyways no no. (laughs) if i had to agree with him on anything it would be that yeah you don't touch people with dogs (laughs) yeah okay So Keyes also traveled to kill. So he had a history of trips that covered a lot of grounds in the United States, meaning that he had many opportunities to seek out victims. He also had some foreign journeys, such as visits to Canada, Mexico, and Belize, and they may have played another part in the Keyes killing spree. Keyes targeted victims who happened to cross his path rather than sticking to a specific profile. He would often wait to accost people in places like parks, cemeteries, and campgrounds. Quote, not as much to choose from in a manner of speaking, he confessed to law enforcement about his methods. Quote, but there's also no witness, really. There's no one else around. End quote. He killed far from home and never in the same area twice. During these trips, he would pay only cash and turn off his mobile phone and had no connection whatsoever to any of his victims. Once he decided on a victim, he would bury a murder kit in the targeted area, as he did prior to the courier murders. His murder kits have been found in Alaska and New York, but he admitted to having others in Washington, Wyoming, Texas, and possibly Arizona. So I can't wait for some little kid to stumble across these someday, asshole. I know. Terrible. These kits consisted of guns, ammunition, and chemicals for the destruction of bodies. When he wanted to kill, Keys would dig up a kit... He claimed to only use guns when he had to and preferred strangulation. This was due to the pleasure he derived from witnessing them lose consciousness in the struggle. But, of course, he's a freaking coward, so he would shoot the men and strangle the women, you know. Yep. Anchorage homicide detective Monique Dahl said of Keyes, quote, He didn't kidnap and kill people because he was crazy. He didn't kidnap and kill people because his daddy told him to or because he had a bad childhood. Israel Keyes did this because he got an immense amount of enjoyment out of it. Much like an addict gets an immense amount of enjoyment out of drugs. In a way, he was an addict and he was addicted to the feeling that he got when he was doing this. Psycho. Yeah, he was a psycho. Uh, when asked by investigators why he committed his crimes, this is, let me tell you what Key's response was. It was really long. Why not? <laughs> That's the coldest response I've ever heard. Hey, Key's like, what's up, man? Why, why are you doing this? Uh, why not? Oh. Yeah. Just kidding. Chills. There's no gosh. explanation like, oh, I had a terrible childhood. I did, 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 did that. No. This is like why the not? worst type, dude. Yeah. He's terrible. This guy's freaky. Having read the book Mindhunter Inside the FBI's Elite Serial Crime Unit from his youth and continuing to meticulously study serial killers, Keyes idolized Ted Bundy and felt that he shared many similarities with him. Both were methodical and felt as though they possessed their victims despite their difference in victim choice and MO. He even went as far as to imitate Bundy's court escape before being seized by guards immediately. Keyes also admired and studied other serial killers, but actively shunned media attention for his crimes as he was fearful for his family and being labeled a copycat for his admiration of Bundy and other murderers. Keyes also called BTK, a.k.a. Dennis Rader, a wimp for apologizing in court and showing remorse for his crimes. (sighs) Wow. Yes, what a wimp for feeling anything. What a wimp. Feeling any sort of sympathy. I'm going to be honest with you. I hella read a lot of... 
autobiographies, biographies of a lot of serial killers, um, I'm not killing. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, I can't. I can relate to. I have great. I I feel like I have really good knowledge of like how to commit a murder. But I'm never going to. Right. My sane mind tells me otherwise. Like, Yeah. It's fine to admire these people and to learn from them and study them. And, you know, they're like a part of our history, whether we want to admit it or not. Mm-hmm. So I think it's cool to recognize I think it's it and good talk for about knowledge. it. But... Yeah. For knowledge to be on the opposite end of it. You but that know? doesn't mean to be like, oh, I could do it better. Let me go try. Oh, my like, God. Freaking psycho. Yeah. But it's funny because when I was reading about him, I was thinking in my head, like, damn, he kind of sounds like Bundy. And then it was funny that that's who he idolized. Like, I found that later. I was like, oh, my God, that's hilarious. (laughs) But that's why he didn't want to be. That's just like you said. He didn't want to be recognized as that. As a copycat. As a copycat. Yeah. But he was clearly like the try to escape, like all that. Yeah. He he totally pulled a Bundy, but he definitely wasn't successful. (laughs) No. And I don't think he looked as good as Bundy. (laughs) <laughs> just be oh real. my gosh <laughs> yes yeah because 10 bunny used his looks this fool mm-mm. yeah no no you guys <laughs> sorry this time you guys really do have to go look at our pictures yeah because <laughs> definitely but we'll not. get to that <laughs> okay so i'm gonna read to you guys an article that was put on to the fbi.gov's website back on august 13 2013 The title is seeking the public's assistance new information released in serial killer case After Israel Keyes was arrested for the murder of 18-year-old Samantha Koenig in Alaska in 2012, authorities realized that the man they had in custody was a prolific serial killer. Keyes freely admitted as much. During conversations with investigators, the 34-year-old sometimes construction worker revealed the names of two additional victims, along with tantalizing clues about other murders he had committed around the country over a period of years. But last December, Keyes killed himself in his Anchorage jail cell, leaving a trail of unanswered questions and unidentified victims. Those victims have not been forgotten. However, today we are releasing new information in the hopes that the public can help us identify others who died by Keyes' hands. The information includes extensive videotaped conversations with Keyes in jail and an interactive map that contains a detailed timeline of his known movements beginning in 1997. He gave us a number of clues, said Special Agent Jolene Godin in an Anchorage division. He talked openly about some of the homicides, but much of what he said only hinted at the things he had done. So we are trying to get information out there about what he did tell us. We are letting the public know the types of cars he rented, towns he visited, campgrounds he frequented, anything that might spur someone's memory could help us, said Godian. Apart from Koenig, who was abducted from the Anchorage coffee stand where she worked, and Bill and Lorraine Courier, a middle-aged married couple who were murdered in 2011 in Vermont, Keyes discussed, quote, seven or eight other victims, end quote. Gideon said, we want to identify them. Investigators believe that Keyes killed and buried a victim in upstate New York in April of 2009, He also told us about a couple in Washington state, another victim in that area, and possibly others in surrounding states, Godin said. FBI agents are working with law enforcement around the country to link keys to open cases. If we have a missing person identified in a particular area, we work closely with that local police department to either connect the person to keys or not, Godin said. We have his DNA. It's a painstaking process made more complicated because Keyes was meticulous about covering his tracks. In the Courier case, for example, he flew from Alaska to Chicago, rented a car, and drove a thousand miles to Vermont, where he searched for victims. He chose the Couriers at random. Keyes also left, quote, murder kits in various locations around the country that contained, among other items, weapons and cash the money came from bank robberies he committed to support his criminal activities the caches provided further cover because keys didn't have to risk boarding an airplane with a weapon or using credit cards that could later connect him to a crime in a particular area godin said 
Although he chose many of his victims randomly, a tremendous amount of planning went into these crimes. Keyes enjoyed what he did, and he had no remorse at all. He told us, if he hadn't been caught, he would have continued kidnapping and murdering people. We need your help. If the videos or map regarding Israel Keys' movements spark any memories, or if you have any information regarding Keys, please contact your local FBI office or submit a tip online. Godin said, The fact that Keys is dead makes it more difficult for us, but the investigation absolutely continues. Okay, that article really does a good job of like summarizing pretty much everything, everything. that we've talked mm-hmm. about that's like the key points um especially considering the crimes and stuff like that mm-hmm. and his movement but during my research on this i found a couple of things that i wanted to share with you so okay the first one is that in maureen callahan's 2019 book about keys it's called the american predator she noted that he'd been fitted with a gastric band and had visited a plastic surgery clinic in Mexico. This is insane. Yeah, so she speculated that the reason for all this was that Keyes might have been trying to become a better killer. So, like, a lap band would mean that he wouldn't get as hungry as often, right? And then he might have changed his fingerprints or removed body hair to lessen the chances of leaving evidence behind. Isn't that crazy? My jaw is just dropped. Right, so he dedicated his life, like, even, like, his health, and his appearance wow. <laughs> to killing. And then he wanted to build a home to keep them in. Like, he literally, everything, every decision that he made in his life revolved around killing. the next kill. That was 100%. The That's only crazy. thing that he focused on. And he's smart, too, which is mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, he's not he stupid. Didn't, he didn't get that done in, a, in the United States. He mm-hmm. got that done in Mexico because you can't chase that. Right. Financially and, like... You know, if he goes into Mexico, nobody knows what you're doing in Mexico. Right. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's wild. I just thought that was really interesting. Um, okay. Another description that I found of him that I thought was like a really good way to put it was this. It says, Israel Keys is all of your worst fears personified into one of the 21st century's most terrifying ser- serial killers and as close to a real life horror movie villain as one could get. So true. If he hadn't become complacent and killed Samantha in his hometown that on that one day, mm-hmm. <laughs> authorities agree because that it's was... a very light it is very likely that he may have never been caught at all. Yeah. I mean, we still to this day don't even know what he did before her. Right. He's claiming that he did things beforehand mm-hmm. and we to this day still don't know. Yeah, we have no bodies. So Good for you for yep. messing up on her. Yep. And my heart just goes out to her family. That is just so sad. But mm-hmm. you know what? Her death meant something and he got punished for that. He yep. was finally caught. Yep. And we, I mean, you never know, like the steps that she took and the, and the things that he did, like all together conclusively mm-hmm. ended up getting him caught, which yep. is exactly what the world needed. We mm-hmm. needed to... Mm-hmm rid Rid israel keys of this (laughs) earth yeah yeah and speaking of him being like such a like creepy killer right Mm -hmm. think about like so i think one of the big questions that i had in my head was like okay so somebody's gonna report it weird that he's doing all this traveling somebody's gonna you know notice this but the reason nobody noticed is because he didn't have an employer he worked for himself. Yeah. He had his own company. And they even said he had land and a dilapidated cabin, which I'm sure was probably where he was eventually going to want to build mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. But um, he had property and business to be in New York. So it's not like out of the norm for him to be like, hey, honey, I have to go across the country this week. I'll be back. Yeah. Like, why but would even- she ever think anything was weird? He didn't have to take time off from his employer. He didn't have a clock in, clock out. There was nobody that was tracking his movements. He yeah. flew into one place, drove to another. I mean, these he were had no one to meticulous. report to. Yes. Nobody. These were meticulous. Had he not killed Samantha, he probably would have never been caught. I mean, that's insane. And who's tracking him? Nobody, because it's across the country and going into all these different states and different MOs and different people and men, women. I mean, robberies, burglaries, fires, gunshots, strangling, sexual assault. Like, there's literally so many different aspects of this. I mean, how would they have tracked him? Yeah. That's insane. Scary. (laughs) 
And it's hard to say like, oh yeah, this visitor from Alaska was in the state of New York on this one day and this one, <laughs> and it just happened to be the day that somebody was killed. But how many people got also got killed on that day in the state of New York? I mean, yeah, you know what I mean? Huge. There's no way, there's no way to track. He would have, there's no way. Yeah. <laughs> None at all, especially right. when there's no victims' bodies to, right. you know, like, do a crime search on. Right. So in the spirit of everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. Thank God for Samantha. Yeah. I mean, that's terrible. And she, it was a major sacrifice. But think of how many lives she saved. Yeah. You know what I mean? By yeah. sacrificing hers. Oh, it gives me chills. Mm. Um, and another thing that I realized is that he truly doesn't care for anybody other than his daughter and his mother it, i don't even know if you can include his significant other in that part of me wanted so. to think that like because okay so part of me was like well why wasn't his significant other a victim but then it's like well that's obvious because then he would have been looked at as a suspect so oh, okay that's true. so it makes sense why mm-hmm. she wasn't a, a, a part of his mo and his victim and also right like was taking care of his child mm-hmm. same thing with his daughter's biological mother of course of course she's not a victim because otherwise he would have been an immediate suspect so it makes sense okay so those two women are out of it but i wonder if the only reason he was able to maintain that relationship was for the sole fact of that somebody was there to watch his daughter while he yeah because in his mind he wants to keep his daughter as far away from that Mm -hmm. as possible Mm -hmm. so keeping her for lack of a better word, occupied right. by other relationships. So he could go do his or, hobbies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Instead of hobbies. being like a single dad at home, you know, and then having to find a babysitter, pay uh-huh. a babysitter, or be more like, you know, I feel like it would have been more traceable if Absolutely. he wasn't with the like with anybody. So he, he was just the help. baby mama, had to ask mm-hmm. for help, mm-hmm. uh, had to pay babysitters, uh-huh. whatever the issue may be, you know? So like... I, I would hope and pray that there was a part of him that loved the person that he was with and, right. you know, cared for his child's parent or his child's mother. Right. But I don't know. Yeah. It seems like it was just another card that he was playing to protect yeah. his second life of yeah. being a It makes me wonder person. if he truly had feelings for her or not. You never know. Like, was she yeah. just a part of the plan? Yeah. You know? I don't know. It's hard to say, but I mean... Because I start to, to lean towards that. It's hard to even think, like, how can this person who is so disgusting and manipulative and, I hate to say it, but smart in this sense. Right, right. How, how can he flip and actually love something as much as he says that he loves his daughter? Right. Like, how? Well, that's how can of, you have these two different complete lives? You are a mind reader. <laughs> Tay, you are a mind reader because that's actually one of my discussion questions for you. So I'll just pose it to you right now so you can just keep going. (laughs) How can you have a daughter that you care so much about, yet you do unspeakable things to someone else's daughter? How do you justify that behavior, that that thought process? I just... You don't. Right. Either you're putting up a front Mm -hmm. in addition to your... Because, I mean, you're very smart in the sense of covering your tracks, doing these extra points to going to Mexico and getting surgery done to help further your killing spree. And, but yet you are not going to go to an extent because of your daughter. I, right. I don't know. That's just so, it's hard for me to understand that. How can you be two? Okay. So I don't, it doesn't, I don't, I, I agree with you in that, like, you can't justify that. But trying to put myself in his shoes to understand his thought process, because he fully thinks that what he was doing was the best way to do it. Like he had, like that investigator said, an addiction to kill, right? Mm -hmm. He had that addiction. So he was like, well, I have this addiction. I have an itch. I have to get it out. How can I do that? Well, let's victimize the least amount of people possible. Okay, so I'm not going to choose somebody that has kids. I'm not going to choose somebody that has responsibilities like uh pets and all those kinds of things so he's going to choose somebody that he sees as like in his mind almost worthless to this world Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. he's not responsible for another being or Mm -hmm. something like that that doesn't that doesn't make it any better but in his head it did Mm -hmm. because i mean i think we were talking about this when like before we started recording today and you were saying like something that really hit home for me too of like but they're a child 
Yeah. You know, they're a child of they somebody. They're a sibling somebody. of somebody. They're an, an auntie and uncle. Just because they don't have nephew. kids living with them mm-hmm. or a dog, mm-hmm. you know, like they, they were placed upon right. this earth by somebody. It's mm-hmm. not just like click of a finger. Hey, here's here's another person on this earth. Right. No. They or what if they share custody? What if they share custody yeah. with a child? And so they don't have them exactly. right then. Exactly. You know, I mean, I understand that he was smart and he probably watched for a long time before he made the decision especially on like the couriers you mm-hmm. know he knew that they didn't have children so who knows how long he was watching them and that kind of stuff but it's so that's how he's able to justify it even though I don't agree with it that's just the only thing that I can think of is that he fully believes that he was fulfilling this addiction that he had mm-hmm. to victimize the least amount of people possible and that's okay mm-hmm He's okay with that and he can live with himself. He can go to bed at night because he's not victimizing kids in his mind. Even though he is because they're a child of somebody, you know? And let's go back to when he was younger, right? When he violently sexually assaulted that 14 to 18 year old. Yeah. Um, that's not a kid. Right. I yeah, mean, you 18, say- yeah, technically you are legally an adult. I was still a hell of a kid at 18, right. not to mention 14 or anywhere right. in between. And I think he was like 19 at the time. It, yeah, exactly. So you're a kid yourself. Right. You're a kid sexually victimizing another kid. Mm-hmm. Wh- uh, I- and then claiming, so you're old, you're old. Okay. You're <laughs> responsible enough at 14 to sell weapons to another adult and get away with it and play as an adult. Mm-hmm. What do you think the, what does he look like at 19? That's true. You know what I mean? A 40-year-old weirdo. (laughs) A (laughs) 40-year-old. I'm just saying, like, if you're 14 and mature enough to go and pass as an adult to sell weapons to adults and and you can hang with the adults in that sense, then who's to say at 19, you victimizing a potentially 14-year-old, you don't get to then walk away and say, oh, I don't victimize children. Yes, you did. Mm -hmm. Yes, you did. Mm Mm-hmm. 100%. I do not agree with that statement. And I mean, I understand that that's how he like gets through this. And that's like (laughs) how he justifies it and how he can sleep at night. I just disagree. Completely. So, okay, let's look at the next discussion question. Okay. Is a serial killer like he's scarier than someone who goes on a killing rampage in their own community? Yes, I absolutely do. Okay. Tell me why. So, Pretty much all throughout, like, history. Well, maybe not all throughout. But for the most part, in a lot of the cases that we read where, you know, for example, a kid shoots up his school or, you know, there's like a crazy, just random rampage, right? But that person is identified. And sadly, like, not a lot of people are surprised. There's a lot of back behavior to... I mean, I I can't put the dot on cases, but like I do know that there are some cases where like they went to therapy and the therapist has seen something, but they didn't do anything or like they had these ideas of or thoughts, but nobody said anything. And Mm -hmm. then this kid brings a gun to school one day and just shoots up a whole bunch of people. Mm -hmm. It's almost like they leave a trace Mm there. If someone was paying attention enough, then Mm -hmm. they could have probably stopped it. Mm -hmm. This guy you could be paying attention to him and lose him. Like, right. <laughs> because he is just going in every different direction. He does not have a specific MO. He does not stay in one specific area. He switches it up. He has a freaking kill basket. <laughs> oh my gosh. Murder kit. Wait, is it murder kit? Yeah. Okay, murder kit. It's almost Easter. So I'm going to go with kill basket. Oh God, he I keeps love it. his freaking kill basket in different states buried so that one day he can go back for whenever he's ready and whoever he has chosen to murder next. And then he goes and updigs the darn kill basket and just goes for it. Okay. He doesn't leave traces. He went to freaking Mexico, got surgery to lessen the chances of probably him getting caught. Yeah, and he's just really good at closing his tracks. Like, we've said it a few times already, but if it wasn't for his slip-up with Samantha, he could have still been out there. Yeah, I mean, even the authorities agree with that, so I would agree that Keyes is a much scarier killer than 
somebody that just goes on and killing rampage in your community. I mean, I have to agree with that. And the reason for me is that he's just so difficult to link and track and even capture, even if they knew it was him and they were looking for him. I mean, like you said, you can't, you can't keep up with him if you're watching him. I mean, he is all over the place and he's hard to track. He doesn't keep his cell phone on. He pays cash. I mean, it's hard to follow, you know? Mm -hmm. So I completely agree with that. And at the same time, I also think that he's high risk, mm-hmm. right? He could, he could clearly, because of Samantha, that's a very clear example of that he can just snap whenever he feels like it. Yeah. He gets an itch and he just does it. He didn't have... It almost was like him almost getting caught by the boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I creep out saying this, but it like turned him on because he went back and he raped her. Mm-hmm. Like yep. that was what he needed. Right. And he was, he knew he shouldn't be doing that in his own community. And he knew that this was out of character. And mm-hmm. he knew that this was a last minute decision that mm-hmm. ended up ultimately getting him caught. He knew. And part of me wonders if he wanted to get caught, but then he had all these future plans. So I don't, I don't believe that he did want to get caught. Maybe a part of him wanted to get caught, but then another part of him was like, but if I don't, right. I'm going to keep going. Then I have these plans. Mm-hmm. That could be too. I don't know. I just, I Maybe agree that he's scary. Maybe it was that part of him that says that he loved his daughter was the part of him that wanted to get caught. Like maybe right. there's like a glimmer of hope in right. his nasty right. ass body. That's a good point. That wanted goodness, like something good. Mm-hmm. But he didn't get that. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so I think we're on the same page with that one, right? That Keys is scarier than other serial killers that go Absolutely. on like a rampage in their own yeah. location. Yeah. Okay, so the last question that I have for you is nature or nurture? Why <laughs> am I not surprised? <laughs> I'm going to be a pro at this. Like literally we're going to start the podcast and I'm going to be like, hey, this case is nurtured. <laughs> <laughs> Heads up. Here we go. <laughs> but okay, so I think this is nurture. Okay, why? So nature, because how many other siblings did he have? And none of them were serial killers. None of them were psychopaths. Yep. They all still loved some type of God Mm -hmm. and stuck within their religion and kept their world basically clean. Right. Right. So do you think that if he hadn't gone towards atheism, like if he hadn't been pushed out of the religion that he would have been normal? So no, no, no. To backtrack, I think it starts off with those parents who were not showing any type of consistency at all. Right. How many different religions did they hop through? And completely different religions, dude. Mm-hmm. And then... A, a culture shock uh, in how many times did they move. You know, yeah. and then how they lived. Yep. I mean, all of that, I feel like all of that plays into comes into play, which is exactly why I'm saying nurture. Mm-hmm. Because living in a tent as a child is not okay, especially in the 80s when you're probably seeing other kids and you're seeing them in what society at that point was normal, mm-hmm. you're not normal. Right. So definitely nurture. I okay? agree. And just continuing on with how he led his life. So yeah, just no consistency as a kid. So to answer your question, uh, yes, nurture. Uh, I don't think anything like, I think a lot of it is obviously coming back to just the very beginning. Yeah, I agree. I think um, it has everything to do with, I feel like he got pushed out of feeling that there was even a possibility of being what, you know, whatever normal is mm-hmm. in, to him. Uh, so I once don't think he, realized... he knew what normal was. Like when you're, when thinking, like looking at it as like a parent, you know, and if you're consistently switching things up with your kids, like how do your kids know what is normal, especially when you're switching things up completely outside of what the society is saying at that point is a norm, like living in the eighties in a one bedroom cabin out in the boonies and then having some of your kids sleep in a tent. Right. So, but what I'm saying is he knew that that wasn't normal. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? So, like, he saw his peers around him growing up right alongside him, regardless mm-hmm. of how much they tried to seclude him mm-hmm. and how much he tried to inevitably end up secluding himself. Yeah. He does see his peers growing up around him, even his siblings, mm-hmm. even his parents. He started noticing that he was not normal and he didn't know how to 
be normal. I mean, he didn't know what to change in order to yeah. be whatever he perceived as normal. You know what I mean? So he almost just kept going with it. And then yeah, kept so he just isolating himself. He just got worse and worse <laughs> and worse. I mean, and I, th- I think that that is huge because he didn't fit in. I feel like he probably felt I mean, obviously, we don't know because mm-hmm. he ended his life before we had a chance to get a lot of these answers. But which I think that he I'm going to say something on that when you're done. <laughs> I think that he felt that he didn't get a chance to fit in with any society, whether that be his own family, whether that be a school, considering he wasn't going, whether that be a religion considering they change so many times mm-hmm. whether that be i mean whatever he never fit in anywhere yeah and i think that that is a huge role that gets played here so to me that has to be nurture you yeah. know okay so to finish up these discussion questions that i have and then um i know we have a couple more things that we want to note <laughs> here um but just to finish the discussion questions um go to our facebook page like share follow you know all the business. And then um, scroll down and you're going to see the discussion questions for this week's episode. It's episode number nine. And answer these questions for us. It is going to be number one. How can you have a daughter that you care so much for yet do unspeakable things to someone else's daughter? And how do you justify that behavior and thought process? Number two, is a killer like he's scarier than someone who goes on a killing rampage in their own community? And three, is this nature or nurture? On the post, we will post a picture of the skulls that he drew in his blood and that were left behind in his cell when he committed suicide. And then if you wanted to look more into this, there are photos of the note that he wrote out there that are available on the internet. They're a little bit difficult to read, which is why I'm not going to post it, but definitely if you're going to do more research on your own there's you can see all kinds of stuff because like they've been recently releasing uh interviews and the pictures of the notes that he left behind and pictures of his cell and stuff like that so we're gonna post his picture and then we'll also post a picture of the skulls that he drew on the facebook post so scroll down until you see those and then comment and let us know what your answer to these discussion questions are for this week Okay, Tay, I know you had a comment that you wanted to state, and I think that I know what it is because I know you well enough, and I have a really strong feeling on this too, so I'll let you go. Okay, you see. So, so let me just state here. He is a coward. I agree. Absolute freaking coward to commit suicide right after you get caught. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry, who are you to put that into your own hands and literally state in some of your confessions that I want to be euthanized within like a week? Screw you, dude. You don't have a say in this. No. You've lost every single right. That is why you're sitting in this chair. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I, when I read that, I was like, are you joking? Yep. But again, that just goes back to him being able to justify, oh, I'm doing this for my daughter so that she doesn't have to suffer. You think your daughter didn't grow up knowing who you were? Like, yeah. There's nothing you can do to if change that. If that little girl that you had that you had met when you were in church had those chills, let's not let's try to remember that probably every other girl that you've met had chills. Uh, side note, I don't know how he had any relationships, but this is very strange, but yeah. I strongly believe that him leaving this earth was very cowardly in the in the way that he chose to. I agree and I it makes me so angry because we will never have any other answers on who those other victims are. And he found so much joy in that. He Mm -hmm. loved being able to say, you know what? This is all the information I'm going to give you. Bye-bye. Yep. He just takes control and and moves on. It's terrible. Yeah. That like infuriates me so, so much. Yeah. I hate it too. I agree. And honestly, I just, my heart goes out to those families that never got answers and those that did too. I mean, it's terrible. And if you think that you know somebody that could potentially be a victim of Israel Keys, I mean, speak up. If we're telling you something right now that you never knew before and you think like, oh, you know, that could have be an answer to somebody you know, somebody you love, somebody you've heard of, a neighbor, a friend, mm-hmm. a family member, something that you think like, oh, you know, their murder was never solved or they went missing or something along those lines tell authorities because yeah, it's never too late they could definitely look to track down where israel keys was at that time they're withholding a lot of information as this is still very much an active investigation mm-hmm. and i just i hope that someday we get the answers to for all of his victims and their families 
Um, I also want to say that I am so thankful that he did not give himself a stupid fucking name. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't, I mean, he didn't keep killing long enough or was like known by police or the media, you know, which is, which is usually who normally gives those types of nicknames if they know who they're looking for. And obviously they didn't in this particular scenario. And the fact that he didn't want the recognition, I'm just thankful that we're not sitting here calling him something stupid. (laughs) (laughs) The big nose killer. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yes. Big nose. Oh, man. Yes. And with that, addicts, we will wrap up this week's episode on Israel Keys, a.k.a. the serial killer who is a direct descendant of the villain Vector from Despicable Me. I'm serious. You guys got to see this. Come back next week, addicts, for another CA meeting. And until then, stay alive, stay alert, and, and stay, stay caffeinated. caffeinated.